Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. There are things that go bump in the night, and we are the ones who bump back. Somewhere in the cosmos, perhaps, intelligent life may be watching these lights of ours, aware of what they mean. Or do our lights wander a lifeless cosmos? I couldn't help but one point in my discussions with General Secretary Gorbachev. I couldn't help but say to him, just think how easy his task and mine might be in these meetings that we held. If suddenly there was a threat to this world, from another planet outside in the universe. Well, I don't suppose we can wait for some alien race to come down and threaten us, but I think that between us, we can bring about that realization. Hello, Crypt Keepers. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of Crypt I'm glad to be here with my co-pilot on this journey through the cosmos, Ryan. How are you, Ryan? Feeling a little drained. Oh, that's no good. <laughs> How about you? Uh, I'm feeling a little drained, too. But we are on the hunt for new subscribers. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, like, follow, all that good stuff. So to go along with your bad comedy on the feeling a little drained, I'm going to go ahead and say tonight's episode has teeth. (laughs) What are we talking about tonight? (laughs) Tonight, apart from the dad jokes, we are talking about vampires. The Highgate Vampire was a media sensation surrounding reports of supposed supernatural activity at Highgate Cemetery in London in the 1970s. The most thorough account of the story is given by folklorist Bill Ellis in the journal Folklore. A group of young people interested in the occult visited the cemetery in the late 1960s, a time when it was being vandalized by intruders. According to a report in the London Evening News of November 2, 1968, On the night of Halloween 1968, a graveyard desecration by persons unknown occurred at Tottenham Park Cemetery in London. These persons arranged flowers taken from graves in circular patterns with arrows of blooms pointing to a new grave which was uncovered. A coffin was opened and the body inside disturbed. But their most macabre act was driving an iron stake in the form of a cross through the lid and into the breast of the corpse. Though the identities and motivations of those responsible were never ascertained, general consensus at the time linked the desecration to events surrounding the Highgate vampire case. Then, in a letter to the Hampstead and Highgate Express on the 6th of February 1970, David Ferrant wrote that when passing the cemetery on the 24th of December 1969, he had glimpsed a gray figure, which he considered to be supernatural and asked if others had seen anything similar. Several people replied, describing a variety of ghosts said to haunt the cemetery or the adjoining Swain's Lane. These ghosts were described as a tall man in a hat, a spectral cyclist, a woman in white, a face glaring through the bars of a gate, a figure wading into a pond, a pale gliding form, bells ringing, and voices calling. Whew, it's quite an assortment. It is. Sean Manchester claimed the figure was a vampire, and the media quickly latched on, embellishing the tale with stories of the vampire being a king of the vampires, or of practicing black magic. The ensuing publicity was enhanced by a growing rivalry between Ferrant and Manchester, each claiming that he could and would expel or destroy the specter. That's really odd to me to think like we have to get rid of this thing or these things you know like why would they if they're just minding their own business within the gates of the cemetery why do we need to go in and try and you know attack these beings or whatever right I agree and if they're in a cemetery already let them be it's a place that's not going to bother me at all right we talked about that on the last episode just let them let him be. Manchester declared he would hold an exorcism 
on Friday the 13th of March 1970. ITV interviewed Manchester, Ferrant, and others who claimed to have seen supernatural figures in the cemetery. These were broadcast on ITV early on the evening of the 13th. Within two hours, a mob of hunters from all over London and beyond swarmed over gates and walls into the locked cemetery despite police efforts to control them. Some months later, on August 1st, 1970, the charred and headless remains of a woman's body were found not far from the catacomb. The police suspected that it had been used in black magic. Ferrant was found by police in the churchyard beside Highgate Cemetery one night in August, carrying a crucifix and a wooden stake. He was arrested, but when the case came to court, it was dismissed. So, what do you think? Do you think this guy is out for publicity and wants to you know, sell interviews and maybe a book or a movie or a TV show and he's walking around with this crucifix and a stake? Or do you think that maybe he really believes that he's hunting a real vampire? That's a good question. I think some people believe it. I think some people... I don't know. I've seen a lot of TV shows involved with vampires or that I have a vampire episode or something like that. Like there was a TV show called Moonlight a couple of years ago that only went one season that was about vampires. And there's even an episode. It might have been the first one where they're hunting a vampire. You know, mm-hmm. that would be a vampire in air quotes. And they find that it's this guy who's into it like a cult or something like that. Like he believes he is a vampire, but he believes that he's getting some kind of energy from it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've heard that kind of thing before, that there are energy vampires or these other things out there that aren't the normal depiction we think about. The bloodsuckers. Yeah, yeah, they're they're doing something else. Um, But as far as somebody actually walking around carrying a crucifix and a stake, he seems to be into the, you know, the movie vampire. So. I don't know. I don't think getting arrested is his plan. True. <laughs> if, if he was doing that for publicity, he kind of screwed up by getting arrested. Or did he? Or did he? I don't know. I mean, it, it sounds like WWE to me. He's walking around with the classic, you know, uh, did he have garlic around his neck? You know, it kind of yeah. just seems like it's a, a for show type of thing, but... <laughs> anyway, like you I said, like he this. was arrested, but the case uh, was dismissed. So I assume that they're talking about he was arrested on suspicion of desecrating this corpse. Yeah, suspicious figure. Right, a suspicious figure in the cemetery where they've been trying to figure out what happened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would be hard to, just based on... Being being suspicious doesn't mean you're guilty. True. All right. A few days later, Manchester returned to Highgate Cemetery, probably not the brightest. He claims that this time, he and his companions forced open the doors of a family vault. He says he lifted the lid off of one coffin, believing it to have been mysteriously transferred there from the previous catacomb. He was about to drive a stake through the body it contained, when a companion persuaded him to desist. Reluctantly, he shut the coffin, leaving garlic and incense in the vault. So, there you go. I've never heard of incense being used against a vampire, but... No, neither have I. There's more publicity about Ferent and Manchester when rumors spread that they would meet in a magician's duel on Parliament Hill on Friday the 13th of April in 1973, which never occurred. Ferrant was jailed in 1974 for damaging memorials and interfering with dead remains in Highgate Cemetery, vandalism and desecration which he insisted had been caused by Satanists, not him. Ferrant and Manchester wrote and spoke repeatedly about the Highgate vampire, each stressing his own role to the exclusion of the other. Each attempted to control the narrative around the Highgate vampire, resulting in ongoing animosity and rivalry between the two. Their feud continued for decades, marked by insults and vindictiveness until Ferent's death in April of 2019. That's pretty recent. It is. So this whole story, I I read about this and I found um, claims kind of like what we're talking about, where, well, 
what we're talking about, not kind of like it. Uh, you know, seeing a tall, thin man, seeing a cyclist, seeing, you know, these different apparitions and these strange experiences. But I also heard, you know, stories of people being attacked by things or, or at least people who claimed that there was something, you know, kind of coming at them at night. Mm-hmm. They thought it was a vampire coming from the cemetery into their home that they would, uh, what we would refer to now as sleep paralysis, I think. Okay. But it seems like most of this is kind of hysteria and a war for publicity between these two. Right. Yeah, it's weird that they said they're going to have a magician's duel. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were trying to drum up psychic business or I don't know. It it seems all kind of silly to me. And the thought that, I mean, I guess it was a different time, but the thought that people would hear something like this and just mob the cemetery and like climb the walls and stuff like that that just it i don't know it seems odd to me but there is a sort of famous video you can see it on the netflix documentary the highgate vampire and there is this group of quote-unquote ghost hunters and there is a video where a man is taking kind of a selfie with a video camera and this thing just kind of materializes out of thin air and swoops past his head and he reacts to it in the video you know in real time so it's not something that they just found on film later which is I think how most ghost evidence is captured you know you just record for six hours and then watch the tape and hope something shows up this happened in real time so it's kind of a cool video to see yeah and uh, we might have talked about it before but part of ghost hunting at least according to um grant i think his name was grant wilson from the original ghost hunters Mm -hmm. you know he did this like little interview kind of thing that I, I think he's done before, but I've seen it also as like part of the intro to the show that he tried to do a year or two ago. Uh-huh. Um, where somebody asked, you know, why is everything in the dark? Like, isn't that just, you know, to scare people or make people think of ghosts or whatever? You know, if, if there was a ghost, wouldn't it happen in daylight? And he was saying that a lot of ghost evidence is caught on camera and it's caught in low light where you can see the differences. You can see shadows. You can see, like, small lights appearing and things moving like that. Mm. And he was saying that's the reason for it. You know, that's where you can see it best. Like, you don't see shadows and mists and things like that as well in bright light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's interesting. Yeah, most of the... I don't know. I find a lot of that sort of... I don't even know exactly what to call it. I don't know if there's, like, a genre for it, but footage that where they notice later that there was something going on like they noticed later that you know there was this other person or this other face that they can see in a window or something like that that they didn't notice initially right like those i find very compelling yeah absolutely um i I think i may have said this before probably in our our you know ghost stories episode but it's it's really it's not ghost hunting it's ghost fishing you know or (laughs) or ghost trapping (laughs) Yeah. You know, hunting, even though, you know, hunting is generally kind of a sniper situation, it's really more fishing. You know, you put a bunch of stuff out there and, and hope something shows up. So, yeah. This is the Highgate vampire case, but to me, it seems like the only thing that really made it vampire y, if that's a word is the fact that these guys were claiming they were going to like slay a vampire because nothing else really points to vampire to me except for what you know these people did to these corpses right right the rest of it is just ghosts apparitions visions whatever tulpas they could be anything there's absolutely there's nothing pointing to them specifically being a vampire All right, we ready to talk about Elizabeth Bathory. So Elizabeth Bathory was a Hungarian uh, noble person, 
and it, I don't know. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. She was she was Hungarian nobility. How about that? There you go. And she would have these local maidens, which is what we'll call them, because this was, you know, in the early 1600s. They would go to learn how to be a lady, kind of a finishing school. You know, they would learn ballroom dancing, and they would learn, you know, how to properly you know, eat their soups and salads and and stuff like that. That's what they thought that they were going there to learn. But they were basically made this lady's servants. And Mm -hmm. she would allegedly kill them, drain their blood into a tub and bathe in the blood in order to maintain her youth. So that's what we're talking about. Uh, There's a lot of things that are presented as facts that are totally contradictory but this is the basic story that we're going to be going off of is that she essentially lured these women in killed them and bathed in their blood so yeah i i am aware of this story in 1610, King Matthias II assigned Georgi Thurzo, the Palatine of Hungary, to investigate. Thurzo ordered two notaries to collect evidence in March of 1610. By October of that year, they had collected 52 witness statements. By 1611, that number had risen to over 300. According to the testimonies, Bathory's first victims were girls aged 10 to 14 years old. Bathory is said to have begun killing daughters of the lesser gentry who were sent to her gynaceum by their parents to learn courtly etiquette. There were many suspected forms of torture carried out by Bathory, including the use of needles mentioned by some collaborators in court. According to the Budapest City Archives, the girls were burned with hot tongs and then placed in freezing cold water. Some witnesses named relatives who died while at the gynaceum. Others reported having seen traces of torture on dead bodies, some of which were burnt. Oh my god. Some of which were buried in graveyards and others un. Oh my god, what is happening to me? Boom. <laughs> no, this isn't boom worthy. <laughs> There's nothing challenging in here. It's just my. my br- I, got, I got square brain. Others reported having seen traces of torture on dead bodies, some of which were buried in graveyards and others in unmarked locations. Two court officials claimed to have personally witnessed the Countess torture and kill young servant girls. So, yeah, this is something that I've seen documentary-type footage on before from the perspective of, you know, what happened as a historical thing and even one that focused on the... uh, the building you know uh-huh. this this place where this stuff happened as, as an abandoned thing you know like what was this place what happened it's one of these uh i think a science channel uh-huh. show it must have been but yeah where they talked about this and they showed the rooms that these girls would have been locked in that they came thinking that they were going to be educated and prepared for a better life and to continue this you know upward movement of their families you know because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of that kind of what we would refer to as upward mobility and we would associate that with education and you know with the kind of job you have and progression of your career like that was done through marriage and alliances mm-hmm. with a lot of these noble families and that's what they thought they were there for to better themselves and they were as far as i can tell from the research i've done like you said they were basically made servants or slaves and then eventually tortured and killed because this noble person uh i think was jealous of their youth yeah is sort of the prevailing theory but yeah the the blood aspect to it is very ghoulish and not something that was touched on by uh you know the sources that kind of shied away from the vampire aspect Mm -hmm. yeah that's why she's on our vampire episode or one of our vampire episodes because yeah, she her her thought process as far as we know was using blood to maintain youth and I mean that pretty much sums it up for vampires, right? Yeah. 
So on December 30th, Thurzo arrested Bathory along with four of her servants who were accused of being her accomplices. And I'm looking maybe at kind of like a Stockholm Syndrome thing here because if you are, you know, a servant for this person to begin with, and then you see what happens to these people, you know that that could easily happen to you and probably would if you, you know, tried to say anything because you would be a peasant. And in any case, you know, they they held them as accomplices. Uh, what do you think? I mean, I feel like it's like they probably felt like they had no choice or they would be killed. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's who can you trust? Like, mm-hmm. what can you really do about it when the person committing these acts is so high up? Right. They would just be dismissed. Right. And as we'll see, they were not treated very well. So his unannounced visit found one dead girl and another what he described as living prey in the castle. But there is no evidence that they asked her what had happened to her, which is odd. But that goes along with kind of the dismissal of what's considered lesser parties. Yeah, I know that, I mean, just reading older books, I don't know how much this is real and this isn't necessarily in this part of the world or this exact time period, but women were often described or depicted as being hysterical and unreliable in certain circumstances. So it could just be good old fashioned sexism, or maybe she was just so, you know, in such a state that she couldn't do anything or refuse to talk. That's true. Uh, these these people that were involved in this, whether as willing participants, accomplices, uh, servants with some form of fear that they, you know, of retribution, they all went through trauma because seeing that kind of stuff is traumatic, and you know we've we've seen what trauma can do. So there's you know definitely a chance that this this woman that they came across what was genuinely hysterical. But initially, Thurzo made the declaration to Bathory's guests and villagers that he had caught her red-handed. And that's what he said. That's not me making a stupid joke. Just so you guys know. However, she was arrested and detained prior to the discovery or presentation of the victims. It's most likely that the claim of Thurzo's discovering Bathory covered in blood has been the embellishment of fictionalized accounts. Thurzo, along with a companion and her two sons-in-law, originally planned for Bathory to be sent to a nunnery, but as accounts of her actions spread, they decided to keep her under strict house arrest. The servants, as we mentioned before, confessed, but they were tortured. So, you know, I laugh, but the thoughts of people being honest under torture, you know, they'll say whatever you want them to say. And and then they were killed, right? So they served as witnesses basically for the prosecution or the king and then were executed. Nice. How were they executed? They had their fingers torn off with a pair of red hot pincers and were then burned alive. Wow. On January 25th, 1611, Thurzo wrote a letter to King Matthias describing that they had captured and confined Bathory to her castle. The Palatine also coordinated the steps of the investigation with the political struggle with the Prince of Transylvania. She was detained in the castle of for the (laughs) remainder of her life where she died at the age of 54. The location of her body today is unknown, but believed to be buried deep in the church area of the castle. So, that is horrific. It is. All around. I mean, when the witnesses are tortured and killed in one of the most horrific ways possible, it's no wonder that nobody turned this person in for Mm -hmm. doing these things. Or, you know, who knows if it even happened. Mm Mm-hmm. If her political enemies were this despicable, you know, who knows if any of it was actually true in the first mm-hmm. place. It could have all been just a story, you know, to say, like, look at how awful this person is. We have to do something. Oh, look, they confessed. And then, 
I don't know. To, to execute somebody is one thing. To do it the way they did it is another. Like, that's so... I just don't understand the point of it. Well, not only that, but Bathory lived, you know, to be 54 years old. They didn't put her to death because you couldn't put nobility to death. But Yeah, they left her in her castle. I mean, what would happen if something like that occurred today? We'll say um, someone who's important, not, you know, the president or not the uh, pope or something like that, but somebody who has some political pull, they lure, trap, torture, kill, desecrate, and they're just given like, hey, you got to stay in your house. <laughs> you, you can't come out of your mansion anymore. Yeah. I mean, it would be... I can't even imagine. I at least hope they stop sending her girls. They didn't actually say that. Oh, that's a good <laughs> I'm point. They, that you know, there were that everybody heard about this and quit sending people there. But we don't know for sure. See, this is the kind of stuff I think about when people talk about, you know, that the world's always getting worse and things are terrible and whatever. It's one of these tropes that's been going on forever. Mm-hmm. You know, there are quotes from 400 BC, literally, that I, I've read within the last week to talk about how, like, the same kind of complaints that adults have about kids today. You mm-hmm. know, no respect. They just want to sit yeah. around and, like, fool around, whatever. Like, they, they just don't care about hard work or any of that other sort of thing. But this is the kind of thing where it's really like, yeah, we have come a long way. Mm-hmm. Like, this is inconceivable now. Like, it's such a political mess because Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. Yeah. Like, they, you know, he's he's not going to jail or anything, but there are consequences for most people now. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I still strongly believe that there are people in certain political situations that are virtually untouchable. Mm-hmm. But they're not like, they're not like this. <laughs> It's not one of these things where they're like, you know, forcing confessions by torture and then killing the people who confessed. Yeah. There's no documentaries being made about, you know, how many people were tortured and killed by Bernie Sanders or whatever. <laughs> well, not in this country, but for sure in other countries. I mean, if you yeah. if you call uh, Jing Jing Pao a panda, it's oh, prison she, for ten yeah. years, right? Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. What I say, Xi Jinping Pao. <laughs> I have no idea what you said. It's, it, I think that's a. I think I saw that on a menu somewhere. <laughs> oh no! I thought the martial art that everybody knew was Ching Ching Pao. <laughs> you know the shotgun sound. Mm-hmm. So that was a saliva song, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. Not click click boom. It was Ching Ching Pao. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. This is terrible. Part of it, I think, is because of the spread of information, the way we're able to disseminate information so quickly. But it's also just, I, f- I feel like people are generally good, despite what you might think. Agreed. And it seems like people, you know, are just more aware of right and wrong, even if, like, the most extreme of either side is the most vocal. Like, the average person is good. Right. And the average person has more power than they ever did, too. Sure. I can agree with that. Even though I'm not happy with the way things are going right now, I can agree that, you know, we do have a voice, and that's why we're here. And we're going to find out about another episode, or, or another incident, I guess I should say, with Mercy Brown. And we're going to find out about that after the break. Hey, what's up, Crypt Keepers? Are you enjoying the show? If you haven't already, I suggest taking my true crime podcast, Exploring Evil, for a test drive. Exploring Evil focuses on lesser-known serial killers, occult murders, and murders with a paranormal twist, so it should be right up your alley. 
The Magdalena Solis episode features a prostitute who convinced a Mexican village she was a goddess. She presented with psychosis, religious delusions, delusions of grandeur, sexual perversions, sadism, incest, fetishism, vampirism, and pedophilia. You don't want to miss that one. In the Indian Blood Farm, we cover a case where a man had an outbuilding he was keeping the downtrodden. He kept them weak by continuously draining blood to sell to the local hospitals who were running on short supply. But one man escaped and told the world what was really happening. How about the Body Snatchers episode where corpses had their body parts replaced with PVC pipes so they could be sold for a profit? In the Antron Singleton case, we cover a rapper who killed and ate pieces of a woman. There's always something new and interesting to listen to and a lot of twists and turns. So check out Exploring Evil everywhere you find Cryptique. Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Howl is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie Howl on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. Welcome back to Cryptique. All right, Mercy Brown. You know the Mercy Brown story? I actually don't know the Mercy Brown story. It's it's pretty wild. So the Mercy Brown vampire incident occurred in Rhode Island in 1892, and Rhode Island is a U.S. state. It is one of the best documented cases of the exhumation of a corpse in order to perform rituals to banish an undead manifestation. The incident was part of the wider New England vampire panic. So that's kind of scary. I mean, you know, if you're living at that time and you believe in vampires, I mean, that would be awful. Like, mm-hmm. man, our region of the United States is plagued by vampires. Yeah. I can't I can't I, imagine actually believing that, but that would be crazy. I mean, we always have some kind of mania going on, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Well, even still today, people think that other people are out there messing with kids' Halloween candy. That's true. We always have a, a monster in the closet. I just think the monsters are getting more grounded lately <laughs> instead of vampires and things like that although they may eventually have real scientific evidence that vampires are real yes you know it's one of these things where it's like it, i i've seen this in a lot of places and in you know different tv shows I, I can't think of the names of any of them but i know it's stuff that i've watched before on like science discovery you know channels like that Mm-hmm. where they talk about specifically things like dragons, where it's like, it's one of these uh, concepts that seems to be spread all over the place, regardless of culture, distance. Like, they all have this idea. So it's this thing right. of, like, where... If that's not real, why do they all have it? True. And where did it come from? You know, it's kind of like vampires. Like, there's an episode of Rick and Morty where... Like, at the very beginning of the episode, it's they're showing, like, the conclusion of a previous adventure that, like, happens, you know, off-screen where we don't see it, just to show, like, there's stuff going on even when we're not watching. But it's this whole thing where they're sitting around the table, and one of the kids is like, wow, can you believe it? Like, vampires are actually real. 
And Rick's like, oh yeah, who would have known? Oh yeah, except all of humanity for hundreds of years. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely people that believe that they are vampires. I, I fully believe that there's people out there that believe that they need blood and can't go out in the sunlight and stuff like that. So I guess if there's people that believe that they are vampires, there's going to be other people believe that those people are vampires and feel the need to hunt them down and kill them. Sure. Right. True. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Or maybe there was something, you know, some kind of disease that inspired it years and years ago, some kind of tuberculosis, maybe that I, I don't know. Yeah. Either something that caused an appear, like, you know, a vampiric appearance, mm-hmm. so to speak. Well, and we talked or, about that in the vampire or the, uh, Gibson vampire episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the uh the skin tone and all that his mm-hmm. what he had going on. Yeah, but I mean there could also be something that caused them to try to drink blood for some reason in the past mm-hmm. for some you know, nutrient deficiency sort of purpose. But Yeah, an iron deficiency maybe. And and we look back in history, mental illness always seems to have another explanation it it seems like just recently we've really you know thought about like uh, if this person thinks that they're a vampire and that they need to drink blood you know that's kind of a cry for help they need help it's not like oh well shit they they are a vampire we got to kill them now it's you know okay there's something wrong with them we need to try and do something to help them out therapy or something like that yeah All right. Several cases of consumption, which is what they call tuberculosis, occurred in the family of George and Mary Brown in Exeter, Rhode Island. Friends and neighbors believed that this was due to the influence of the undead, mass hysteria. Their daughter, Mercy, despite efforts to save her, died at age 19 in January of 1892. In Exeter, Rhode Island, several members of George and Mary Brown's family suffered a sequence of tuberculosis infections in the final two decades of the 19th century. Tuberculosis, as we mentioned before, was called consumption at that time and was a devastating and feared disease. The mother, Mary Eliza, was the first to die of the disease, followed in 1884 by their eldest daughter, Mary Olive, according to her gravestone. In 1891, daughter Mercy and son Edwin also contracted the disease. Friends and neighbors of the family believed that one of the dead family members was a vampire, although they did not use that name and it caused Edwin's illness. This was in accordance with threads of contemporary folklore which linked multiple deaths in one family to undead activity. Consumption was a poorly understood condition at the time and the subject of much superstition. George Brown was persuaded to give permission to exhume several bodies of his family members. Villagers, the local doctor, and a newspaper reporter exhumed the bodies on March 17th of 1892. The bodies of both Mary Eliza and Mary Olive exhibited the expected level of decomposition, so they were thought to not be the cause. However, the corpse of a daughter, Mercy, exhibited almost no decomposition and still had blood in the heart. This was taken as a sign that the young woman was undead and the agent of young Edwin's condition. Her lack of decomposition was more likely due to her body being stored in freezer-like conditions in an above-ground crypt during the two months following her death. As superstition dictated, Mercy's heart and liver were burned, and the ashes were mixed with water to create a tonic that was given to the sick Edwin to drink as an effort to resolve his illness and stop the influence of the undead. The young man died two months later. So some mercy soup did not do the trick. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. What remained of Mercy's body was buried in the cemetery of the Baptist Church in Exeter after being desecrated. So that's, uh, I know I made light of it, but that's... Gruesome. Yeah, that is gruesome. And that is something that we should point out to this type of vampire. That this is what people thought of as vampires or undead or, or whatever else back in the day. Mm-hmm. That the vampire was really either a spirit or a corpse that rose from a grave at night 
and then return to it. And it would be basically helpless. It would just be a body. You know, it's not like a person who just has to stay out of the sunlight. It's not the Dracula or Twilight or whatever other mm -hmm. ideas of a vampire that we have now in popular culture. It was a totally different thing. And they saw what they thought was evidence of it in mm -hmm. these bodies like we just talked about here. You know, somebody who hadn't decomposed very much for whatever reason uh, or still had blood in their heart. Mm -hmm. You know, there are lots of explanations for it some of which may very well be supernatural. I feel like we do a lot of disproving supernatural stuff or doubting it, but a well, lot of it is caused by superstition and mania. Well, we're talking about vampires, too. I mean, it, it's a little bit different topic than aliens, but... I guess that's true. There, There's other things that have explanations. You know, the, uh, the skin on the hand shrivels up, so it looks like the nails keep growing and growing and the gums recede so it looks like their teeth are like you know more monstrous and sharp and stuff and uh, we see the same thing with the the hair i think the hair continues to grow after you die for a, a certain amount of time but people would dig up these coffins and they would find people that you know exhibited these normal signs of decomposition and there was never an explanation given on how they got back into the coffin and covered themselves up with dirt and made it look totally undisturbed, but they really fed into the, you know, the nails and the teeth. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, my understanding was that the old vampire folklore, the vampire was usually some kind of spirit mm. that came from that family member that that family member kind of fed off them and didn't physically leave but you had to you know, do these things to the body to prevent that spirit from coming back. Gotcha. But it's very odd that you wanted to... Not odd. Uh, I feel like I'm living in an unconvincing matrix. <laughs> because I keep... And I stole that line from a writer I really liked. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, I keep doing things at work where I'll be looking for a phone number... And within minutes, the person whose number I'm looking for will walk in the door. Hmm. It's happened three or four times, or they'll call me, or something like that. And then you want to talk about vampires, and I'm walking in here to record. And, you know, something was on earlier about vampires that I was listening to in a podcast. And then uh, I walk by Kim, who's sitting on the couch watching TV, and it's an old episode of Castle where there's a murder and the suspect is part of this like vampire club thing. Mm -hmm. It's a weird coincidence. There are vampires everywhere right now. Um, do you, do you experience things like that where the, the subjects that we talk about kind of follow you around for a little while? Mm, I really don't. I, I'm always, as you see from all the texts I send you just turned on to new stuff, new stuff, new stuff. And, yeah, honestly, I, I seek things out that most wouldn't probably, like vampires mm. and alien stories and stuff like that. But I don't find it popping up randomly in my life. But maybe you're psychic. Who knows? Or you're a vampire. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I've been accused of it before. I, I, I'm weird. I know I'm weird. It's fine. I like the cold. I've always liked the cold. I don't know why my dad's like that, too. We both like being cold. <laughs> so I've had people, uh, just like when it's winter around here and everybody's where you know, in St. Louis, winter can get, you know, it's not terrible, but it can get pretty cold. It's pretty bad sometimes. It's not Green Bay, but... Yeah, so I've walked around with either without a jacket or with my sleeves rolled up or something, and I've had a buddy of mine be like, dude, you could at least act human. Yeah. It's like, I just like the cold. Like, You're the shorts guy in the snow? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to when I was in uh, high school and I worked at a Jack in the Box for a little while. I would I would hang out in the walk-in freezer every once in a while. I'd be like, man, I'm kind of getting a little toasty over there by the fryers. I'm gonna go in the, in the freezer, Mister Freeze. Yeah, but yeah, it's just an odd thing that it, that vampires keep popping up, you know, in just random places as we were approaching time to record this. Mm -hmm. Although now that we've talked about it, and this is a recommendation I genuinely have for people. 
Okay. There is a movie, and I'm not sure where you can stream it, but it's Batman versus Dracula, and it's actually not bad. There was a <laughs> highly recommended. Yeah, there was a new uh, Batman cartoon in like the early to mid 2000s, just called The Batman. Hmm. Had a distinctly different art style from the 1993 um, Bruce Timm series, I think was who did that. That you know that kind of spawned the Superman cartoon and the Justice League stuff, and that the styles were kind of similar fed into each other but this was like a totally different thing but there was a movie that has dracula in it and it's actually really well done there's a couple things that are not great where i feel like maybe they just shove something in because mm-hmm. they needed like they realized oh maybe our audience won't understand why sure. this thing just happened but for the most part dracula really acts like dracula like it's a genuinely good portrayal of him mm-hmm. you know when he wakes up he's all skeletal and basically just like mindless because he has drank no blood in some extremely long period of time. Mm-hmm. And as he kills more people and turns more people, he starts looking more and more human. And then he starts trying to integrate into Gotham society. And yeah, it's just, it's actually a reasonably well done movie. So if you're, if you're willing to put aside your pride and watch a cartoon, <laughs> it's, you could do worse. You can you can find worse. You could genuinely find worse depictions of Dracula or vampires in general. Sure. Well, how about you just go back and listen to the Black Eyed Kids episode if you haven't already, because we talk about how Black Eyed Kids may relate to vampires. So you should go check out uh, episode one, Black Eyed Kids. Yeah, which still sticks with me. So you see. Dracula was in this Batman movie. Where does the name Dracula come from, aside from, you know, Bram Stoker? Where did he get it? Yeah, Vlad Dracul or whatever. Yes. Vlad the Impaler. So he killed many, many thousands of people. He would make forests of his dead enemies impaled through the anus and up out through the mouth, and then would have them. I guess erected to where his enemies coming to attack him would literally be walking through a forest of their dead comrades trying to attack and his name was Vlad Dracul and Dracul just means dragon and then Vlad Dracula is son of the dragon another gory, gruesome story out of, uh, he was Romanian. And that, it's it's an interesting story to me, historically, from a tactical standpoint. Mm-hmm. That you just, like, scare your enemy into mm-hmm. not coming at you. Like, look at how bad this is gonna be. Yeah. Like, that is brutality that kind of serves a purpose. I sort of understand that. Oh, He's, absolutely. He was protecting his country from a, a more powerful force by showing them, like, is it worth risking this happening to you? Yeah. Whereas the stuff we were talking about with, uh, you know, the witnesses being tortured and killed, that serves no purpose. Yeah. That yeah. that genuinely bothers me. Um but it, it reminds me of a meme I saw today, the the Dracula thing. It was something, you know, the three little pigs. Of course. There. Well, this one it was a drawing of this pig standing on top of this kind of castle-looking structure, mm-hmm. and it says the fourth little pig's house was made from wolf skulls. They weren't very sturdy, but they sent a message. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's it's a psychological warfare to walk into this and and i think a similar thing happened with the nazis in russia in the winter you know they just saw fields of frozen to death nazis and Mm. you know anything like that is going to cause trauma yeah you know that's that's what it was intended to do and and i believe he held them off for a, a number of years i think eventually he was either turned on by his own people or uh, overtaken but it it did its job for a while so yeah but uh, then there is the story of John Crutchley 
and he is this week's episode of Exploring Evil. And there's not a whole lot to talk about, but he was a convicted kidnapper and rapist and was never charged, but was believed to have been responsible for 30 deaths. And what happened the way he was caught, this young woman escaped from his house and she was uh, handcuffed at the feet and the hands and was crawling alongside the uh, freeway and a trucker saw her and stopped. And basically what happened is, you know, he kidnapped her. He was into like BDSM and I'm not going to get into it too much, but he drained her blood. And eventually when she was taken to the hospital, the doctors said that she had about 40 to 45% of her blood drained in the last 24 hours and somehow was able to survive. But this man drained her blood with syringes and he said he had to drink the blood because he was a vampire and eventually later he said that he he didn't drink the blood because it coagulated but this is somebody who well I talk about Robert Ressler the FBI profiler says that he's done it before because it was done I guess medically you know it was drained with syringes it wasn't like he you know cut her arm and dripped the blood down and drank it he extracted the blood right done in like a practiced yeah done in a practiced or precise way but we see other serial killers and suspected serial killers that either believe they're vampires or believe they need to drink blood uh, there's another serial killer who was very sick mentally and he would actually like get kittens and put them in a blender and drink it and he thought that he needed their blood to like replenish his own because it was it was being poisoned or something along those lines and you know he eventually killed people too he actually killed a child but obviously this person is out of their right mind right mm. This is somebody who truly believes in what they're doing. It's not like for show. It's like this person is seriously sick. I'm thinking about how many, you know, movies and stories you read or watch or whatever where the the person, you know, there's a vamp a lot of shows, a lot of like detective type shows have a vampire episode. Sure. And it's usually that you know, somebody did it to throw suspicion onto somebody else who has mm -hmm. some kind of mental illness or is into the vampire thing or whatever. But very few of them does it end up actually being somebody who really believes it. Yeah. Who's really, you know, like this, who really, you know, thinks that they're getting something from it. It's usually some sort of, yeah, just something to cast suspicion in another direction. Yeah, it makes me wonder how common that could be. If it's a, you mean a specific mental illness, like a mental illness that makes you believe you're a vampire? Is that what you mean? Like specifically or just a, yeah. okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I guess, um, being delusional, being uh, schizophrenic, you could believe things like that. Yeah. I mean, there's a small portion of the population who every year claim to be Jesus, mm -hmm. like the second coming. Um, I wonder what that percentage is for people who claim to be vampires. Well, there's definitely a subculture out there, uh, people that believe they're vampires, and then they also have what they call donors. And these are people that you know allow themselves to be bled out to a certain extent in order to feed these vampires. It's really a, a an odd thing, but yeah, it's a it's an entire subculture. They're psychic vampires. What do you know about psychic vampires? Those are the, as far as I'm aware, those are the ones that I was talking about earlier who need to, or at least believe that they need to feed off of somebody else's energy or life force. Yeah. I, I, I always wonder if eventually 
you know, there will be an explanation found for something that we think of as supernatural today. Mm-hmm. Like the whole uh, phenomena where you, if you feel like somebody's looking at you and you turn and someone is looking at you. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like eventually we'll have some kind of scientific explanation for what that is and how that happens. So I wonder if we'll eventually understand more. You know, there are a lot of things that were believed to be fake until science got to a point where it could understand it better. Like shooting stars Mm -hmm. were thought to be, you know, just the ramblings of crazy people Mm -hmm. until they were observed enough times and then an explanation was found for them. So I kind of wonder if some of the vampire encounters will be explained some way or if we'll find that there is some kind of specific mental illness that pushes people in that direction or if with all these gene mutations and who knows what kind of things you know dr frankenstein and uh dr moreau are working on right now where there there could be some sort of probably not a, a vampire type entity or person or being but a cannibalistic one what do you think is that in our future uh i mean it could be an effective soldier Uh uh-huh i mean i do i find like the idea of genetic experiments what like crossbreeding and you know dna splicing and stuff like that i find that really interesting you know stuff like the montauk monster and Mm mm-hmm whatever where it's like well was the government making something or you know didn't the russians weren't they trying to like crossbreed chimps and humans or something mm-hmm. like that to create like extra strong soldiers mm-hmm. yeah, yeah we can do a whole show on that that was an amazing fact you know it's been admitted it's it's not in the realm of conspiracy theories they really tried to make chimpanzee soldiers because they thought of course they would be superior in war, but <sighs> didn't work out, thankfully. The humanity was not meant to be. <laughs> right. Absolutely. But, you know, if you want to talk about super soldiers, we can talk about Bigfoot. But not on <laughs> this episode. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, I don't really have anything else for vampires. Send us your vampire stories. I'm sure we're yeah. missing something. Do you think you're a vampire? I'm sure there are a lot of really convincing stories out there, but some of these that are so historic, mm-hmm. you know, and are surrounded by so much mystery and legend, a lot of them end up being, you know, like we were saying, mostly mania and hysteria, or, or you know, even in the case of the Highgate one, kind of started by a newspaper just sensationalizing something. Right. Fake news. Fake news or blown out of proportion news. I mean, my dad told me that he realized that stuff way back in the day. Mm-hmm. He said that, uh, God, wherever he was living at the time, he was a little kid living in a small town. And him and his friend were playing on a frozen pond. Mm-hmm. And his friend, like, they fell through. And he was able to get up onto the ice, like, slide up onto his belly and get on the ice. And they were starting to you know, break this path towards the shore so his friend could get out and everything. And this guy, you know, this, like, passerby came and kind of helped him, like, right towards the end. Mm-hmm. You know, he says that they, they were, like, most of the way out, like, pretty much had him out of the water. And this guy showed up kind of last minute, like, oh, my God, are you okay? Um, but when the newspaper showed up, you know, they interviewed every, like, there were newspaper people who wanted to talk about it because it's a little town. Sure. And it's like, oh, some kids fell through the ice. Like, that's a story. But they wrote the story as two boys fell through. And this, like, good Samaritan who was driving by stopped. This hero. And, like, dove, yeah, like, jumped into the ice with them and single-handedly, like, broke their way out. Like, it was way better than, like, you know, two kids fall into the ice, work together to get one of them out, and then work together to get the other one out. And then a guy showed up at the end to see if they were okay. <laughs> Right. So he was like, like my dad said, he was, you know, he was like eight years old when he realized what the newspapers and TV and whatever, what they report is what is going to sound the best, not necessarily what's true. So when vampires become reality, 
which vampire in like movie history do you think is most likely to be something that could be possible I know I put you on the spot you're a movie buff and there's millions of vampire movies but no I immediately thought of two okay well okay there's actually three types that I'm thinking of there's although eh, it's start with one if he it's iffy to say that it's a movie vampire, but the Anne Rice ones, the, you know, like, uh... Interview with Queen vampire. of the Damned, Interview with the Vampire, yeah, Vampire Lestat, all those okay. books. Because uh, those vampires, they are vampires in the way we think of it. They can't go out in the sunlight, they have to sleep in, like, combined dark spaces, things like that. But they're kind of solitary a little bit. You know, they might have groups around them, but it's like one or two of them. They're not trying to amass, like, a lot of them, so they would not be noticed. Okay. You know, just naturally, if it's like there's one that's just hanging out on its own for like a hundred years. Right. And then there's maybe, there's two that are together, and they're doing their thing for another couple hundred years. You know, they're not, it's not like people, where every, you know, 20 to 30 years, you've got more people coming out. Like, they're, in those books, they're described as being, you know, pretty pretty okay to not make more vampires mm-hmm. so I feel like that's a way they could go under the radar the second type would be the blade vampires mm-hmm. like from you know blade one and two where they're more like a secret society same mm-hmm. sort of thing like they're careful they cover their tracks you know they they own the police the police cover stuff up for them they have all these people on their payroll to help cover them up and they have their own secret signs on how they communicate mm-hmm. that's one possibility and then the other possibility would be like twilight vampires oh gosh just twilight is more like they're a totally separate type of creature that's kind of how they describe it in that like they're not so much supernatural as biologically different like they mm-hmm. don't bite you and you become something else like they inject you with a venom that transforms you mm-hmm. you know what i mean sure i mean you're talking about like dna and you know genetic mutations and stuff like that that's kind of along the lines of that so i don't necessarily know that they're going to sparkle um, <laughs> like a you know, you're not going to be a Tiffany vampire. That nice. <laughs> it's just, but yeah. Anyway, go on. Mine is I am Legend or Omega Man. Just not anything like you would normally think of a vampire, but just a biological entity that needs to kill. Not yeah. a. Um, well, you're talking the movie I Am Legend, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've have you read, read the book? book? Uh-uh. Is it a lot different? Uh, it's different in the if you don't mind me spoiling kind of the ending and the moral of it. No, go ahead. It, it it's similar in some ways, except at the end, uh, if I'm remembering it right, and I could be misremembering because it's been a long time. The moral of it kind of was that when the main character who's fighting these things is captured, he realizes that they are studying him. Mm-hmm. That, like, they're afraid of him because he's the only one in that area who's still human. Yeah. He's the monster. Okay. Yeah. And it's 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 this, like, moment of realization at the end. And that's, that's kind of what it's about. It's one of those. It's very much like a moral type story. And they do kind of do that in the movie version. Although I really like that movie. He, he, he comes to realize that they're not bloodthirsty killers that are just you know in it to murder I think but that's my take on it I I think that there will be some sort of weird biological entity that just attacks people and I hope I'm wrong but it seems like that would be very doable for science I think it's more likely yeah I think it's more feasible for sure but that go, you know, if you consider that a vampire, I'm just going by vampire movies, basically. Yeah, that's kind of more, almost more like a zombie. True. Type. Well, there's uh, a, there's a running theme with vampires too that they all have superhuman strength and speed and 
in intelligence and all these things, but I think it's much more likely that, it, like you said, it, it would just be different physical traits, not that, you know, you can bench press a thousand pounds or run 60 miles an hour, but just that, you know, you have different dietary needs, I guess. Yeah. You know, we do see in nature, I, I like to look to nature for answers on, on things if they're possible in people, not necessarily lab rats, but just things that occur in nature. If they occur in nature, then they could eventually occur in human nature. And we see that there's vampire bats, there's ticks, there's leeches, there's things that survive strictly on blood. So Mm -hmm. it, it is something that occurs naturally in some species. Yeah. But I don't plan on sucking any blood anytime soon. What about you? Me either. I was thinking actually uh, Japanese for dinner tonight. Mm. Food, maybe a people. Bl- or blood. <laughs> maybe a Bloody Mary, huh? Yeah, there you go. That would work. <laughs> so that's all we've got for you on this episode of Cryptique. Don't forget to subscribe and send us case suggestions at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. Check out Movie Howl and Exploring Evil and have a good night, Crypt Keepers. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen.